0: Blog TALK RADIO
1: The other side of the news is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight.
2: We
3: investigate, explore and extrapolate facts... To gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus...
2: To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based
3: on well-verified references fed through vigilance and discernment.
2: Our desire... is
1: To awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in
3: community. Learning new things. Asking questions. Getting compelling
1: answers
2: and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity.
1: We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way.
3: Propelling you to
1: see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh
3: perspectives on global events.
2: Tune in for a balanced view
3: of the other side of the news.
1: Good morning, good night, and good evening. I am Timothy Saunders, one of your co-hosts on this 21st edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from southwest Turkey, and for many of you from the other side of the planet. I'll soon be joined by co-host Kinthia and our resident researcher, Annette Adriskel, who are both in California. Andrew Curry, following a period of careful reflection, has decided to take an extended break from The Other Side of the News. To focus on other priorities in his life, I'm sure Kintia and Anetta would like to join me in thanking him for his amicable and creative input, and wish him very well on his life journey. I do hope he will choose to drop in on the show from time to time, maybe uh, sometime soon. The show is entitled "The Pan." Excuse me. The show is entitled "The Pandemic," Part One. Yes, there are just too many intersections, connections and correlations with the methodology in which this new normal is being globally rolled out. Far too many coincidences fit into one single show. And this subject is just too important to ignore. So we're going to begin mining along a new vein of truth with guidance and wisdom from an array of valued international guests to bring increased Clarity, understanding, and perspective to what is going on right under our noses and in plain sight. This trail is too well defined to be random, so much so, these connections are anything but coincidental. Rather, these events appear to occur according to carefully drafted paragraphs from a unified script. While I'm heartened that so many people are becoming aware of this real life saga, It is very alarming, however, that so many people continue to sleepwalk right through it, especially as the ramp to mandatory vaccination is already underfoot. A commonly held opinion by many who continue to sleepwalk is how could there be such a plan? How could the various countries of the world unite with such determination and detrimental intent to their people, especially after we have elected them into power in most cases? These are very understandable questions that, in my opinion, hold the illusion in place that the minority and their puppet governments are here to protect and serve us. Unfortunately, the reality appears to be altogether different. It seems there is an agenda being rolled out according to a master plan and one that is obeyed by our governments at the hand of something far more dark and sinister. This trail can be clearly seen in many documents and media that have previously been shared with you, and we will continue to share with you. These include Agenda 201, where a group of, represented by all of the usual suspects, came together last October to outline a dress rehearsal for events that actually started in 2001, the first month of 2020. Then we have the GPMB, the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, a subsidiary of the WHO, that was courtesy of uh, Maz Palvi a couple of weeks ago, which outlines plans to hold two new exercises in how to deal with global pandemics, pandemic, I should say pandemics in that case, before this sep- September, one of which will be a lethal virus, see page 10 of that document. We all know what has directly followed previous exercises. But how far does this trail go? Well, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Global Business Network released Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development in May of 2010, where the synopsis written some 10 years ago sounds like a perfect commentary for life here today. According to some researchers, the trail goes back well before the 21st century and most likely, well, beyond the horizon of mainstream history. For example, the Georgia Guidestones, the Brookings Report, to name a couple, which makes this COVID pandemic fraud only the latest in a series of problem-reaction-solution events. So what is the solution? How do we safely navigate out of this hornet's nest? Well, non-compliance of mask-wearing and refusal of vaccination would be two ways. Two ways to penetrate the surface and to reverse the trend and to stop sponsoring those who try to enforce these suggested guidelines that are are in many cases not even constitutional law. I look forward to hearing our guest's perspective on this. Uh, One of the fundamental foundation stones of this agenda, which is manipulation of public opinion and to discuss how to interpret and react to the information that may be so clearly seen along this trail, all with a view to illuminate a path to lead us to a positive outcome. You will find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Kindly scroll down to tonight's white The Other Side of the New Show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a large selection of information to read, watch, and to listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. You will find the call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a hot question, or perhaps would like to share an important feat on the Grand Observation, please dial 1 if you're outside of North America, followed by 917-889-8802. You'll come through to our sound engineer in the control tower, Keith Morgan, who will guide you onto our runway and then into the air. One gentle reminder though, when you hear the shows through your telephone, please switch off your radio, laptop, iPad, or any other listening device. Otherwise, it will cause an unpleasant feedback loop. In the last 14 days, we've seen many remarkable events in the news all while heavy censorship of many independent channels continues. Despite this, a number of important documentaries have been released on independent platforms, which include the Rose Ike 5, the fifth in a series of in-depth interviews with David Ike, Shadowgate, a documentary by Millie Weaver, and Plandemic Indoctrination, a second full-length documentary by Mickey Willis. Each of these documentaries is well worth investing your time to view, in my opinion. The topics raised in each one are important to consider for you and for your family. Despite the unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact all they require from you is to unplug from mainstream media propaganda to make your own independent research to stop acquiescing and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others robert morningstar our guest is such an individual and i look forward to him joining us a little later in the show so good evening kintia good evening Anetta. how's it going in california
2: it's hot here timothy can be yes. here <laughs> and it's smoky. <laughs> yes, we have fires.
1: Hot and smoky. That doesn't sound. It's uh, <laughs> <at> all good. <laughs>
4: How know, close is it? Oh, uh, pretty close. Uh, Napa is about a half hour drive from here. Um, up to Napa County and then up to Napa the City, maybe forty-five minutes. Um, it's it's smoky enough down into the Bay Area that. It looks like we have heavy fog in the morning, but what it really is is smoke. And last, last night when I went out onto the back deck um, at about midnight, I thought someone was burning a, um, you know, like at a fireplace. And I thought, that's hot, it's hot. And why would you burn at a fireplace? And then I realized it wasn't what I was smelling. And uh, the, smell, the smoke has been pretty heavy today and pretty pretty uh, hard to, to not notice. You can really smell it. So,
1: well, so, uh masks useful at this time
4: <laughs> well that's really funny well actually they're more useful than for the virus because the particulate matter is quite a bit larger than the viral particulate matter so technically yeah i'm not wearing one but i guess you, it would serve some purpose yeah
1: mm-hmm. i saw a map uh i think i can't remember where the source was it was a map showing an area that is burning i guess it's the same one that's close to you and there was a blue area around the red area. The red area is are sort of the actual fire, I guess, itself. The blue area was a, what I read, was a mandatory um,
0: was
5: it evacuation. A rule.
1: or evacuation rule. Is, is that close to you as well? If you're only 45 minutes away, that must be pretty close.
4: Well, the map's a little bit deceptive, I think, because um, the, although it's a large area, it, it, those maps are pretty zoomed in. Um, but uh so no it's not coming down this far not 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 so far let's hope not Uh, but you know this is the same area that was burnt only three years ago in the 2017 fires and it's a really i was talking to kenthe this morning and i think um it was a really questionable fire because we had these really strange and i'm going to get into like this whole other thing here but this really strange wind that was literally being turned on and off it felt like, and it was changing direction like, <laughs> like someone was playing with it. And then we had this very large thunderstorm, and if anyone knows, the Bay Area does not, is not inclined towards thunderstorms at all. We don't build up cumulus. It has to do with the ocean, etc. cetera, but uh, we don't have thunderstorms. We have massive uh, electrical storms on Sunday night, and that is what uh, they say that the fires were started with the electrical storm, but the question in my mind is yeah, the, none of the rest of the uh, weather makes any, any sense. Um, you know, I'm going to say it seems manipulated very, so we'll see.
1: I, I seem to remember there was a, a previous ruling that power was going to be cut in case in case the power lines were um, damaged by the fire and going to fall down. Is, is that is that well, there, the case has, this time? there has
2: been a text going out that we might experience rolling blackouts but fortunately our area has not been impacted yet I hold the vision that we will sail through this
4: they do have rolling blackouts for two reasons one is we've had a heat wave and the power consumption goes up um, in the Bay area pretty much no one has an air conditioner so it doesn't go way up so we're hot and can't get away from it but in the In the valleys, they have air conditioning, and so there's a power consumption, the surge is up and then the other thing is is these high winds that come in can take down power lines, which is what they blamed the two thousand and seventeen fires on, and again, that was questionable, but that 's uh, what they were blamed on so when the winds pick up, they say they can cut the power if they feel like there's a threat so
1: I see so I actually
4: you yeah,
1: misunderstood the uh... I misunderstood the way that that uh, story worked out here. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. So I, I hope you guys are going to be safe and I hope we can continue to, uh, to be live throughout the show. We'll be fine. Excellent. So uh, how's your week? Is there anything to report? I mean, outside of the fire.
2: Well, I want to, I wanted to say that I'm very encouraged By the number of videos I'm seeing that are coming out from, you know, truth speakers, individuals, more and more. It seems like the more they try to snuff us out, we're multiplying and multiplying. And I feel greatly encouraged by that. While a lot of the news that they are sharing is very dark, I I received. Uh, some information about what's going on in Australia, and you will see it there in my links, very dark. On the other side, I feel, well, thank goodness, it's finally being exposed so it can be expunged, you know, so it can be gone. It's um, time to take the garbage out, as we say. So I'm grateful for the active, um, persistent, really persistent uh, actions from those who are thinking and who are having revelations and who have information that they're sharing it uh, everywhere. So I feel greatly encouraged by this.
4: I'm also encouraged a bit by it too. I I just had a conversation with a friend who I don't have a lot of I haven't had a conversation with him in about six months. I don't have a lot of contact. I had no idea where he would stand on this whole uh, issue around the pandemic. And, you know, he was very, he, he was very awake. Um, I have um, pretty much all my friends are very awake, which I'm, I'm blessed, but I think that there's more and more people waking up as I was talking to him about what he was experiencing. And I, I do think there are more people becoming awake. And one of the reasons is uh, when we talked about this, it was like, well, you know, they're trying so hard. They're so concerned about the truth getting out about everything from, um, you know, hydrochloroquine to uh, other other things. Their their whole their holy story is being exposed, and it's like, well, you know, if it if it wasn't something that was uh, going to take their agenda off track, why would they be so concerned about suppressing the information? And I, I think that's, that's kind of uh, raising a lot of people's antennae and they're, they're asking the question at this point, which is a good thing. So that's what I'm experiencing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, if you cast your mind back, do you remember, I think it was a, a week ago, slightly more than a week ago, that uh, an event happened in Australia. There was this young woman who was uh, basically wrestled to the ground because she was not wearing a mask. And that was by the... Uh, I think it was Victoria Police, I could be wrong, It could be Melbourne Melbourne Police, I'm not quite sure exactly, I need to double check the fact. But anyway, let's just say an Australian police officer, and she is actually exempt, she had a doctor's note, and she was, uh, I think, finally not charged after, she was actually manhandled and taken away, The, the, the charges didn't stick. So that was something which came and went, but what I was very surprised to see this week was literally a copycat event uh, which happened in Turkey. And yeah, different woman, different police officer, obviously, but the same event basically happened. Um, and it, it just really reminded me how it was only seven days ago or so that we posted the same video almost in a different country, different woman, different police officer, but the same result. But in this particular case, I was very happy to see that the police officer was actually fired. And that sounds. Maybe a, you know, a harsh thing to say, but this the way that this woman was wrestled to the ground and you, know, you could hear a slap as her, I don't know, her forearm or her knee or whatever it is hit the, the, the pavement. It's just so unre- unnecessary to be this aggressive, this hard on something which is, you know, from all intents and purposes, just a complete waste of time to wear a mask. And I'm sorry, that's my personal opinion. I'm not a doctor. But from the research I'd done, I believe a mask in most cases is a complete waste of time. So, yeah, without going into the whole cycle again, I just want to point out it was very strange to see this copycat event. And it just reminded me of this global lockstep, this global unified, you know, agenda.
4: Yes, it, well, it's it's pretty, I mean, that's what I talk to people about, the whole mask issue. It isn't the masks themselves. I mean... They're problematic. I think that they are actually detrimental. But the detrimental part is is more about the psychological aspects and the compliance aspects, because this is just uh, getting people to do exactly what you know they want you to do, and you know how 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 high and how far and everything else instead of saying no, and it's this this bullying basically. um, And there's very few people that, this is what I find disappointing, very few people standing up to it. And, um, but, but I don't, I mean, I don't think the masks are useful at all. I mean, my research and, and according to the New England Journal of Medicine and another, uh, uh, quite a few things that are out there, studies that are out there saying, oh, this is worthless for this, for a multitude of reasons. So what is it about and you know and i and i've talked about this before with the bandana thing in california we can put a bandana i was just talking to my friend he said yeah i forgot mine so i used a shop rag and hung it over my face that's not going to do anything for anybody but but that's okay just as long as you comply and put something over your face so again i say it's not about the health at all it has nothing to do with science or health or anything like that or protecting us Well, I wanted to
2: add that um, I went to the post office, and again, I feel encouraged because there was a gentleman there. Uh, He looked, you know, in his 60s, very trim, fit, intelligent, and uh, I think he was probably from a Middle Eastern country because I heard his accent. And he had no mask. He wasn't even hanging it from his ear. Everybody else had masks. And he went through the service. No one said anything to him. All the other people standing in line, and the um, post office uh, clerks didn't say anything either. So I gave him a thumbs up across the, the the lobby there, and we kind of smiled at each other. I thought that was cute. <laughs> so there are those that are standing up for themselves. That was great.
1: Excellent. Uh that's uh that's very good news. I mean fr- from my point of view, again, this is just personal events, you know, uh some 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 things like for example uh public transport, you know, that there is a, a a rule, a very strict rule that people need to put a mask on before they actually get on public transport. Uh and if they don't then the driver basically will not let them onto onto the bus or the coach, whatever it is. It's a, that's that's you know, um, foundational rule but on the other hand if you if you take a, a taxi um then there's no, nece- no necessity to wear a mask um and uh yesterday I, I, I took a taxi somewhere and uh you know the guy was just totally and utterly on board so it, it really does depend i mean for me for me a lot more people seem to be aware and uh, i think if nothing else it's the duration of this lockdown and, and the mask wearing and these other other regulations are coming in because you know surely if all of this if if if, if these re- if there really are good reasons to wear masks and so on and there really are good reasons to lock down then wouldn't the numbers have all sort of plummeted and uh well i guess they have because things really spun out anyway Uh
2: I want to jump in here because I'm receiving a message from my friend, Chris Spell, and it's, it's something that Annette has mentioned before, but it's, it's worth repeating. He says, surgeons' masks holes are 100 microns. Virus is 0.125 micron maximum size. So 800 virus particles can fit through just one hole in a surgeon's mask. And the mask has many thousands of holes. So, and I was listening to another doctor today saying it was like sand going through a chain link fence.
1: Yeah, that really puts it in perspective.
4: I've often said that it's like asking a mosquito not to fly through a chain link fence, and you know, and that's being generous. And it's like, well, that won't keep the mosquitoes off you, now will it? So, same kind of idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems that the. Also, I think in in what I'm seeing in the news is also, the message is changing. Uh, I mean, we've talked before about this sort of like lull between, you know, how do we get from summer to to fall and 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 to the next event back to school and so on because it, it seems that, you know, there just are not the numbers there to, to warrant this these, these regulations, but. I've seen a number of people mention this case-demic. So the plan-demic is, is turning into a case-demic. In that, mm. uh, you know, uh, I've seen a couple of graphs, the horizontal line, and you could see on the left-hand side where sort of the higher numbers of COVID, uh, suspected COVID um, patients are, were higher on the left, and that line comes down, this curve. We always hear about the curve is coming down uh, to a point where it sort of flattens out. And, you know, in many, many cases, especially, um, I, I would say especially, but in, in, in Sweden, where there was no lockdown and very, very simple, um, you know, regulations in play and, and other countries where they adopted, you know, a full array of, of uh, precautions, but the curves are looking pretty similar. And the... In most cases, I think the number of deaths are right down in France and Sweden. In many European countries, the deaths are right down to even, you know, zero. I think for for many weeks, maybe maybe even months in some cases. Um, so, but what what is increasing quite dramatically, and especially as I noticed in Holland, for example, and the trend is also seen in a number number of other places as well, is where the number of suspected new COVID uh, patients was increasing, and basically that is a result of uh, increase in testing. So the more people you test with a, a PCR test, obviously more more people that potentially could have COVID because the test is not reliable and not really ideal for testing viruses in any case. Uh, but when you have more numbers, then the case goes up, and and the, the fear factor seems to be, or the fear mongering now seems to be about the number of cases. Whereas we've talked all the way along, and also especially John Francis came on uh, last week and was talking about how it's the number of deaths that we need to look at, not the number of cases. So, uh, yeah, I get what you guys think about that, but that's what I'm seeing at this site. The case-demic is uh, taking hold.
4: Well, you know, I think that that's true, and they're trying to keep it pumped up. And I I can't remember if it was was Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, or which one of those people do you remember in California, but one of the, the, I have an adjective for this person. It's not flattering, but one of the people that's one of our politicians is proposing that any state that does not have required lockdown, does not have mandatory lockdown, not receive any federal funding. I don't think this will go anywhere right now, but the point is, is that clearly there's an agenda that has nothing to do with the actual number of deaths or cases, because yeah, that it, was
2: Pelosi in July, it was okay,
4: a, yeah, and because it, it doesn't have anything to do with it, They're they're trying to pump this thing up and keep it going, but there's, there's no data that supports it whatsoever, in fact, it's the opposite, all around the world, for example, they're putting kids back into schools, but there's, they've never had a case, uh, they haven't in California, for example, there's not a single case of a, of a child dying from it, nor has any uh, child given it to an adult, So this idea that the school thing isn't okay and all the weird stuff they're doing around that, yet around the world, they're putting kids back in school without the numbers changing at all. Again, a different way of handling it, but the numbers stay the same. So, you know, clearly they're trying to pump up something that really isn't there. I mean, it doesn't take a a genius to figure it out. So.
1: So where where is this uh, second wave? The only second wave I can see is uh, a potential number of uh, cases, but the deaths are right down, if not zero.
4: Well, right. I mean, this is the problem. They 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 want a second wave. They want they. You know, I think if if I had paid what they paid to have this virus created, I would be so disappointed. It was such a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you take the make sure you have the receipt to sort of take it back and.
4: Uh, yeah, it's just not it's just not working out. <laughs>
1: it's not functioning properly. I want a refund. Yeah. Uh huh.
4: So you know, I mean, we can make fun of it, but the, but the thing is, is just, it is the it is the vehicle that they've they've put all the other things on the virus. I always talk to when I talk to people, I say it's, it's not about the virus. There's nothing to do with the virus, really. It's about moving this agenda forward around this virus. The virus is the vehicle, and it's not even a very it's not performing well. But we are, because we are just about to the bottom of the hour. Can you believe it? So uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back. And uh, we'll be back with, we have a bunch of guests tonight. So we're a full show.
1: fresh perspectives on global events.
3: Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news.
5: And the other side of the news can be heard here, on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, 2 hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. I warn you, you'll miss it
0: in your own peril.
2: Welcome back to The Other Side of the News. Tonight, our guest is Robert Morningstar. Our show is Plandemic Schedule Part 1. And I'd just like to share with our audience easy ways of finding our show. So you would go to the other side of midnight.com and in the nav bar, which could be on the side on your computer or at the top in your mobile phone, you will see a link for the other side of the news in case you're listening in the future. So you can find all of the other side of the news shows playing there. We offer the entire show on all of the show pages. So you're welcome to go back to previous shows and listen to those. And there's an amazing amount of information that we're collecting and I'm creating a, uh, an archive library, if you will, of topics. So I hope that this will be helpful to you. And I'd like to turn our attention to what's happening with our children. In my links, Kinthea's items, the first link is to a Dr. Mark McDonald. He's a child an adolescent psychiatrist, and he's reporting on the impact of the lockdown on our children. And he talks about the emotional health and well-being, how it's being, for some children, irrevocably damaged because these are their formative years. They need to be in school. They need to be having contact. And what's happening is that suicide rates are up Mental health problems are going up. It's getting to the point where it's going to be a long-term damage, not something easy to fix. And he's he's reporting that many are dying not of coronavirus. No, they're dying of the government response to coronavirus. I highly encourage you to watch that short video where he's talking about health for our children and for all of us. And the importance of not going into fear, this is really what is so strong in my mind. We have a choice here. We're at a choice point. We're either going to choose fear, and in which case he points out, for many it's leading to death and crippling mental illness. And we have a choice. To face life you wouldn't say don't get in a car and drive and yet the death toll from car accidents is much higher than the death toll from this and what he's noticing is that some children now even when it's beautiful their parent wants to take them to the beach beautiful bright sun you need the sun to strengthen your immune system fresh air they're afraid to go because why? There might be other children there. There might be people. And he points out that not one child in California has died of Corona COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. nor has anyone been um, contaminated from a child. You know, it's uh, shocking what's going on, and these the school systems. It's it's a problem there, because the stronger the school union, the teachers union, the more they're pushing for these Zoom classes, and he's pointing out that many of the students, the parents think they're in the Zoom class, but in fact, no, they're playing video games. They're not even attending the Zoom class, and students that had high grades, their grades are dropping. Other other students that were doing just fine with grades high grades and emotionally stable are now becoming very emotional and fearful. He says it's imperative that we get our children back into school, that it's, it's so damaging because these are the formative years children need to socialize with each other. They need to experience that, um, the nonverbal communication that happens with your eyes, when you you know, when with touch, with seeing each other, and you just can't get that through a Zoom. You you can't experience each other through a Zoom. And it's creating a generation of children that will lock themselves up for fear of going out that lest they get covid nineteen. And the facts are is that no, they they are not um they're not becoming sick from covid-19 they're becoming sick from fear from all this propaganda from the media and i've noticed so many parents previously they put their kids in front of the the boob tube <laughs> because they're busy with things but now it's coming back to bite us because this is a generation that's going to be crippled by this. So parents or friends of parents, I really encourage you to share this information because the health of our future generations depend on the health of our children. And it's so important that we have a mindset that's joyful. And that's the other thing is that the strongest The strongest force for keeping a high, strong immune system is joy, joy, joyfulness, laughter. So if a movie makes you happy, then watch the movie that makes you happy. If talking with a particular friend makes you happy, find things that make you happy. Find things that you can remember as a child that made you happy. If you need to daydream about things you used to play when you were a child, but do whatever you can to bring your awareness to a more joyful state, to embody that and to share that with those around you, especially parents. Children don't learn by you telling them things. They learn by mimicking you. So if you're in a panic and you're in fear, you're passing that on to your kids. So it's important that we find ways to... Balance our own mental state before we try to do something for the children. And and he's not saying, oh, don't say you're not afraid if you are, but find a way to move through it so that they can see that, okay, I can acknowledge I'm afraid, but then I can move through it. It doesn't mean I'll never get in a car again because there was a car accident on the highway. no. We need to learn to move past our fears. And this is where we are. I always come back to this is a choice point for each of us. And when we sit around and we talk about things that are scary, don't just leave it on the down note. Find the up note, the transformation that's happening, the transformation for the planet, how the planet's atmosphere is clearing up. Find the transformation for it, the individuals who are waking up don't just leave it on the down point because then that just contributes that just gives them power that just you know you're just feeding back a, f- a loop of fear so this audience I know this audience to be inquisitive in intelligent thinkers out-of-the-box thinkers that's why you're listening to this show and I believe in the, the, those who write me. I hear wonderful comments. And I believe in you. And so you are the light for your circle of friends. You are the light for your community. It's interesting. I walked into the bank and I noticed the one who was uh, uh, filling in for the bank manager that day, he was in his cubicle and he had his mask down below his nose and his mouth i thought well that's interesting none of the other employees did they didn't dare. but i thought well there's a, there's at least one who's choosing to act independently more of that we need to you know no one wants to be first so when one does it then the others have more courage in this audience i know you to be courageous i know you to be courageous so i implore you use your actions and choose choose peace of mind choose trust choose a vision of a future where things are opening up bright where all this darkness is being cleared out that's the point the darkness is coming out okay it's been hidden a long time yes it's scary but Let's take the garbage out and then the garbage is out. Hold that vision. Hold the vision that we are moving towards a world in which it will be better for everyone. So that's where I, that's really what's important to me. The other links are are very strong links in my section. Um, There's a, a couple physicians talking about hydroxychloroquine and how it works. I encourage you to listen to those as well. So, Aneta, Timothy, Robert, comments?
4: Oh, I have comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. Uh, I was just going to say, I've, you know, without going down that same that same rabbit hole again, it is so important for us to do things that help us come out of that place of fear, uh, and especially for children. Uh, I can't emphasize enough, that all the studies show that when a child stays in fear, their, their brain is forming, and they actually form a larger portion of their brain is dedicated towards the amygdala, which is the fight or flight. And this, this is why it has long-term effects. Um, and so the counter to that would be to do fun things, relax, experience new stuff. New experiences are a very frontal cortex kind of thing. Um, the hypothalamus is about uh, pulling up those memories. So sitting around telling stories and going through photos or having memories—those are all really good things to do um, to to bring people out of that. It's just, it's really very important, and it's not just children. I mean, adults need it too. If you see someone struggling and they're they're having a hard time with this, um, I tend to be you know a, a bit critical. That's that's probably an understatement. But you know, once in a while, <laughs> I step back and I say. I need to be kind to this person because they're so freaked out. You know, they aren't in the same place. They don't have the same information. It's not natural for me to be like that, but I do do it because I know how important it is to help people through that. So I wanted to just read this real quick little, I happened to get this text while I've been on the show tonight. Yeah.
2: Can I just jump in one second before you do that? Because I want to comment about something you said. Sure, sure storytelling you know through eons of time our cultures were built on storytelling and then what happened when the tv came in is the tv took over storytelling and now the parents are in another room and the children are being told stories but the stories they're being told are uh, they have all these hidden messages we're not filtering the stories that are being told to them so I love that you mentioned, tell stories, tell stories about your family. I think very few children know any stories about their grandparents, their family. They don't know who, where they come from. So storytelling is such a rich experience. It doesn't mean you have to be a creative artist to tell a story. You can re, you know, remind them, oh, you remember when we went to the picnic and Johnny did pa pa pa, whatever. Remember those happy stories. It's so important to share those. So thank you, Anita. Oh,
4: you're welcome. Oh, the reason I said that was because Cynthia and I actually were having lunch the other day, a couple of days better, sitting on the back deck at her house and enjoying the the sunshine before it got really smoky, and we were talking about that and I was talking about the experience of how my father viewed things and how my family did this and one of the things was that it was very important to sit down and have meals together because it was a time to share experiences and stories and we I was greatly discouraged from what my father called the boob tube or the idiot box Um, and I could go on to that but but the point is is it's a matter of choice and those choices Uh, we can make every day and encourage other people to make healthy choices in where their brain is focused. So I just wanted to read this little thing. It's really short that my friend happened to send to me while I have been on the show. She sent me this text and it says, choice is the greatest power in the universe and we all have it. I choose to live by choice, not by chance to be motivated, not manipulated to be useful, not used to make changes, not excuses, to excel, compete against others. I choose self-esteem, not pity. I choose to listen to my gut and not the opinions of others. Every day, I choose to take a chance on myself. And that's really where we all are with that. We need to take that chance and be with ourselves. And this is a time of quietness, too, for a lot of people, so you can be by yourself and think about what's important to you what's important to
1: those you love yeah well definitely uh very positive sentiment and very and how true it is uh i I've just listening to both of you i have so many things i'd like to say but i'm very conscious we have uh many many more things to talk about on the show so i don't want to go back regress too much but you know i i have two um two sons at home and they started uh, zoom studies last week. And, uh, they are just bored stupid by it. There's no interaction. You can see their whole body language as they come near the door where they're going to sit down at their desk and have the iPads, And I call it an idiot pad, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, it is, it's everything about it is, is something they just do not want to do. And it's not because they're lazy. I mean, that they're, they're bright boys and, uh, it's just because it doesn't work it's an illusion you know it, it's like marketing the, the the school markets to the, the parents that the zoom classes are working they're effective because they they give you grades that mean something i guess to some people the teachers market these you know the, the, the students performance to the, the the managers or the school owners whatever and they say You know, everything's fine and they're so well behaved and and they work so well. And so, uh, you know, the whole thing is marketed to everybody. But at the end of the day, what I see are two intelligent boys who are full of life and, you know, smart. There's there's no difficulty in in learning, but they're just totally and utterly demotivated because it it doesn't really work. Interaction is so important. Um, So, I really appreciate what you were saying, Kintia and, and Anetta. I think that what we need to do is to every day create memories, create memories worthy of telling stories in the future. You know, we, yes, by all means, go back in time and, and tell stories of previous uh, good memories and so on. Explain who your grandfather was, grandmother was, and so on and so on. But equally, every day the sun rises, we have the opportunity to create a memory worthy of storytelling in the future. And that's surely what we should all do. And that's one way of us all taking responsibility. And I think that we can all shake this whole pandemic thing off far quicker than, than most people realize. I say most people, the ones I mentioned, which were perhaps sleepwalking. So I'm very very much in favor of that, you know, if there's an opportunity to take your kids to the beach, to the park, to play football, frisbee, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm probably sort of boy orientated because I'm father of two sons, but, um, you know, go out and do things that the little girls enjoy, little boys enjoy, go out and do them because then you can talk about it. You can draw pictures about about them. You can tell stories about them. You can, you know, just use your imagination and just switch off and limit these idiot pads to you know as little as you can a day absolutely is this this is yeah you know, the television if the, if the television killed the imagination of generations, then I think the ipads is is and tablets it, it's far worse because it's just murdering the attention span, and uh, you know that's bad enough in, in grown-ups. You know, when we have a documentary, I mentioned some documentaries this evening. I passed them to some very intelligent people this week. And uh, I said, yeah, so how does it go? Did you see it? Did you watch it? Yeah, I started watching it, but, you know, it was so long. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so long. You're happy <laughs> to sit and watch, you know, a, a TV soap series that goes on and on and on. And it is, in my opinion, with all respect, totally and utterly meaningless to the, you know, to, to humanity but when there's something which is so critical and so important like what we're actually currently dealing with how can a documentary be so long why not just pause it and then wake up the next day and then move it along another 20 minutes or 15 minutes or however long or short is is short enough I, it, the attention span and interaction those are two things we all need to work on and I think we need to take great responsibility to improve <laughs>
2: Well, I'm smiling here about the storytelling because there's a Star Trek Voyager episode where they, they're they lost out in this quadrant that's 40,000 light years from home. And they come to this planet that's their technology is way far more advanced than what they have. And what this, this civilization prizes more than anything is stories. So, like, there's this um, black market deal where this person wants to trade stories in exchange for technology. Because the stories, they're missing stories. They want
4: stories.
2: (laughs) So, we each have this bank of stories.
4: Really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Well, and I think, you know, creating the stories is like what Timothy said. I mean, I, I don't have children, um, so I don't have the same opportunity, although I've, I've created a lot of stories around me. Anyone who knows me wouldn't know that. Uh, but, you know, you can do it with anything. And, and, you know, a lot of it can be really fun. Like my and my dad, I have all these stories about food and cooking, and they're, they're really positive stories, and I'm still talking about them. Um, and you know, they, you can you can use anything like that as a teaching thing, a way to a way to come connect with people, a way to make a story. I mean, you might not you might think it's just making pancakes, but in, you know, when I'm still telling the story decades and decades later about buckwheat pancakes and blah blah blah, you know, there's something to that, right? right. So this all helps. I'm going to go back to the, the brain development part. This really, really helps. And this can mitigate a lot of that. And if somebody feels happy, that is helping this to calm the nervous system down and to key and to take it out of that. Um, so, and the other thing I would say to people, if you do have a partner, you do have children. And thing that's so important is, is, is touch. Um, you know, give some, you know, give someone a, a massage or, or rub their head or, or, you know, pull on their toes or whatever they like. And you know, I, I have cats. So, you know, uh, but, but the point is, is that really, really helps calm the nervous system. And the biggest thing that we have that is going against us in this world right now is fear because fear lets people roll over you. It, it lets a lot of things happen that shouldn't happen. And it does such damage to the body. So, anything that you can do is that that mitigates that fear is is worthwhile right now. So, you know, just get creative and think about what that could be in your world and who you're who you have influence with.
2: Mm-hmm. I want to say that in going out and walking down the street and talking with my neighbors, some of them are wearing masks and some aren't. And I'm not lecturing them. At first, I was, I realized that's not the best way, but I just or I go into a store, I greet them and I smile at them and I, you know, I I show interest in them and it takes, how can I say, it's like the pressure from a pressure cooker, the steam is being released because there's this high tension. So laughter and smiling and just, you know, a kind of a virtual hug in the sense of your eye contact. You can do a virtual hug with eye contact. It's like, I see you. This thing of the mask wearing has made it hard for people to see each other. And so, you know, I'm standing in the grocery line, and there's this mother with a little baby, and I'm I'm actually playing peekaboo with the baby. Because <laughs> so the whole line starts laughing, because there's something that's taking their attention off of all this drama. And so you might think it's a small and significant act. But the fact is, if anything that you can do to calm yourself, it's like music that goes out and it calms those around you. And so we are each fields of resonance and we send that frequency out and we calm those around us. And little by little, they they are they are changing. But it has to be from within. It you can't force it on them. I tried. That doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. Oh, being joyful, even not saying anything, but just showing that you're at peace, that you're enjoying the day, beautiful sunshine. It may you move. Think it's small talk. But in these times, even that small talk is very potent. It carries a lot of weight and a lot of uh, lightness as well. So we are close to the break. After the break, we're going to bring on our wonderful guest Robert Morningstar, who's been on uh, the other side of midnight many times. And he's been on the other side of the news once before. And he's a He's a wealth of stories, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm looking forward to hearing from him. And uh, anything else you two would like to contribute? We got a few more minutes here.
1: Well, I just think that uh, the essential thing is to give time to make independent research we say it every week it becomes almost like a mantra every week Uh, but seriously if you you switch off the source of the poison which is mainstream media and you start looking at other sources of information then the whole the whole of your universe can change and you know we're not looking at alternative dodgy you know uh, badly printed you know sort of Inferior information, we're looking at very good information. It, it just the point is the independent information is, is mostly censored on mainstream. So you need to switch the channel, get a pure form of information, of course, validate it. But uh, as, soon as, as soon as you make the switch, that's as soon as your universe can change. And each one of us, I think, has a responsibility to find the truth.
4: So one of our one of the things that we do have here is we do have our archive of information. So a lot of these things were censored out, and uh, and you can't find them out there, but we have them here uh, on on our uh, website. So um, I think can, I'm actually out of time. I've got to take us out, but Cynthia can give you the information when we come back. So with that. Um, We're going to take another break and we'll see you on the other side with our guest, Robert Morningstar.
2: So our guest tonight is Robert Morningstar. Co-hosts are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Thea. I do want to say that we've had guests from both political parties. We are not advocating any particular party. Our guests have their own opinions, and we welcome to hear from them. But I want you to know that the show is not... On either side, we are standing here for information to get it out for everyone to make up their own minds. Um, So the show tonight is the Plandemic Schedule, Part 1. We plan to do several more of these. And if you were on the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, in the nav bar, you can look for the other side of the news And that will take you to a list of all our shows where you can hear the entire show on those pages. So, tonight, our guest, Robert Morningstar, is a civilian intelligence analyst, investigative journalist, and psychotherapist living in New York City. Robert is a specialist in photo interpretation, geometric analysis, and computer imaging. He is a graduate of Power Memorial Academy and was a New York State Regents Scholar at Fordham University, where he received a degree in psychology. While at Fordham University, Robert participated in a research fellow with the U.S. Navy-sponsored program to develop artificial intelligence. He is an expert in the Chinese language history and martial arts, and is an, an acknowledged as a master of tai chi so there is a very extensive bio on the page uh robert is many of you know robert he's a frequent guest and a man of he's a renaissance man a man of many colors and many varieties and many stories welcome robert
6: thank you very much for that uh, lovely introduction and you know you hit the nail right on the head because it was in college at Fordham University in a history class that I learned uh, the definition of a Renaissance man, and I said, that's what I'm going to be. And uh, <laughs> the term the term was a man of virtue. Uh, I'm very happy to be here, and I hope that the information that I bring you will help to dispel the doom and gloom that is being imposed on everyone by the mass media, which is engaging in what I call mass media MKUltra, mind-controlled methods now applied on a global scale. I have to tell you that we are at war with an invisible enemy, as uh, the President has described it, but this enemy has not been invisible to me. I have been fighting this villain for seven years and if you do the math it goes back to 1963 and i have been trying to free myself from the mass mind control that was imposed on us when my childhood hero john f kennedy was assassinated i was i will also try to be a little humorous and uh To, again, to bring a little humor into the very bleak situation, and say to you, hearkening back to Star Wars, that what we are fighting, as Obi-Wan Kenobi said about the bar in Tatooine, is the greatest collection of scum and villainy this side of the galaxy. It is none other than what we have been calling the New World Order, which is an evil snake that has wrapped itself around the minds and hearts of humanity and has changed its name and has changed its color so many times that I liken it to a snake that molts its skin but is still the same old snake. I'd like to begin with uh, the the, the subject of The Shadowgate, the film by Millie Weaver, which is, uh, I'm grateful that you called me up to speak about Millie, She's a, a very, very talented investigator. I've been watching her, her uh, broadcasts for several months now as Millennium Millie. And when I heard that a Millie Weaver was arrested in Ohio when she went there to screen a new film that she had done, I immediately went to, this, to the subject of what was she talking about that got her arrested. There's a real weirdness about this arrest. I'm going to talk about that a little later, but let me just say this in a synopsis. Shadowgate is a very important film, probably the most important film um, that I've seen yet regarding exposing the shadow government. I assume that Shadowgate, that she got that name from the the problem of the shadow government, which is a permanent government that has entrenched itself in Washington. We call it the swamp, popularly. More unpopularly, but it is the governmental apparatus that successfully assassinated President Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, and went on in the 80s to knock off anyone who was standing in the way of the New World Order. Shadowgate exposes a salient fact that very few people are aware of. President Obama, during the last few years of his administration, passed a law that permits the United States government to lie to its own people. And that was the basis of the weaving of many, many illusions and delusions in people's minds that facilitated the exploitation of the Office of the President of the United States to conduct a covert war against the American people. And we are coming out of that stupor only because the United States military, seeing the dangers and the threats to our republic, enlisted Donald Trump to run for president. And I thank God that he did. And I thank God that I worked so hard to see him elected, because in my opinion, regardless of political party, President Donald J. Trump is the JFK of our times, and he has taken arms to battle the same repugnant government by secrecy, which President Kennedy spoke against when he addressed the Association of Journalists and Reporters back in October of 1963, Shadowgate exposes the fact that John Brennan, James Clapper, James Comey, oh my god the list is long and some of the names I don't even want to say. They were enlisted to thwart first to thwart the election of President Trump, and afterwards to conduct a coup d'etat. For years, four years, one, two, three, four years, people have been arguing about this with a lot of skepticism on the part of the benighted souls who believe what they hear and see on CNN, MSNBC, and the leftist media. But the facts are now plainly in the open. John Durham has succeeded in getting his first conviction. It has not even gone to trial. An FBI agent named Kevin Kleinsmith has pleaded guilty to altering official documents in order to foster and maintain an illegal investigation into American citizens, which they hoped would hook the President of the United States Into a frame-up, and it has failed dismally. Thank God. So the battle is not over, but I feel that what we're looking at is the last, the last gasp of the deep state, and that is what Millie's movie is about. She goes into great detail into the subjects, the topics I've just mentioned and the players who have been trying to conduct a coup d'etat against a legitimately elected president of the United States. Now in the middle of this controversy, Millie Weaver and her husband were arrested in Ohio and many people jumped to a conclusion that it was uh, due to this film and uh, machinations of the deep state. But it turns out to be a very mundane, kind of weird family feud, it turns out, if I if I can believe what I'm reading in the papers. Millie Weaver's husband and her brother stole Millie Weaver's mother's iPhone and they pushed her to the ground. Uh, they were verbally abusing her and the mother made charges, brought charges against them. But I find it really strange that a secret grand jury in Ohio should um, issue warrants for their arrests under such secrecy. Something is very strange about this whole story, but I'm just giving you what is coming out in the papers as to for her arrest.
2: Robert, I just want to point out that my link uh, number four Uh, has the document about the arrest.
6: Okay, good. So we can leave that aside and go on. I do recommend the film. It's an excellent documentary. And it shows all of the players. And she goes into this subject of Obama having passed a law that allowed the U.S. government, specifically the military, to employ mind control operations and techniques, very advanced mind control operations and techniques that have been perfected over many years of warfare and to direct them to the American people, at the American people. One of the things that we have been fighting for the last 20 years, something that changed the entire nature of law, order, and policing in the United States is the so-called Patriot Act. The Patriot Act, or the N-D-A-A, uh, declared that our homeland, the United States, the continental United States, is a battleground, and that all American citizens are combatants, and that as combatants, we are subject to direct action and covert warfare against us by the United States government. It applied uh, the psychological warfare uh, cadres of the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force military to employ psychological manipulation through mass media and deception against us. And I think that this COVID caper this plandemic, or this scamdemic, as I call it today, is the greatest example of mass mind control and manipulation the world has seen since those three assassinations that I described earlier today, earlier tonight. It's a very ser- serious situation because so many of our fellow citizens have succumbed to it. I am living in the epicenter of the COVID outbreak. I've been here since the beginning. I have seen the mass death that's been imposed on my state by a criminal governor. 11,000 people. uh, The president said it. 11,000 people were murdered in this state. And I don't believe it was by incompetence. I believe it was by design. Those of you who have heard me on the radio, perhaps for the last 10 years, when Obamacare was coming on board, and I looked at the financial scheme, I said, this thing will never work. This scheme can only work if you triple tax the young people and cull off the senior citizens. Because the greatest expense... Medicare and Obamacare is taking care of senior citizens and others who have suffered catastrophic illness. The problem with government bureaucrats is that when they're looking at the numbers they forget that those numbers represent lives and their job is to make the scheme work efficiently. This this crime is so great that we needed a new vocabulary. I'm very good at coining phrases to express ideas that people were not able to grasp. And many, many years ago I saw this happening. I can see through time Because I study history, I know the patterns, and I can foresee the patterns being applied in the future. So I came up with two terms. One of them was slow genocide, and the other term is population pruning. And I believe that those two terms perfectly express what we have seen in New York State especially, through the population pruning of the senior citizenry in nursing homes, and the slow genocide that is being perpetrated on the people, people dying in car accidents and motorcycle accidents, and they're being attributed to COVID-19, the Chinese virus. I have a particularly colorful name for it. I call it the Chinese vampire virus because it was derived from bat, bat corona. Uh, viruses. I learned this because I'm, I'm part of a network of uh, intelligence, of intelligent people and intelligence operatives. And a professor, Rudolf Tanzi, sent me a monograph from China that had some interesting names on it. And when I zeroed in on one of the names, I went to PubMed and found his research. And one of the most, I would say, the most significant monograph that I came across was entitled Long-Term Surveillance of Bat Coronavirus via PCR
1: Replication.
6: That might sound Greek to you, but it's not Greek to me.
1: It sounds like it has all the necessary (laughs) ingredients to uh, augment the story, doesn't it?
6: Yes, Tim. I mean who could make a title who could make something like that up? Long term surveil- surveillance of bat coronaviruses via lo- via PCR replication. Uh, for, for, it, uh, that's a way of re- um uh, PCR is a genetic technique for replicating an in infinite numbers an infinite number of DNA samples. It's what you see on CSI and you hear about um, uh, DNA samples being taken, they take them into a laboratory and they conduct protease uh, chain rep, uh, replication, and you can... So let's just talk about a rape victim. A rape victim is contaminated with the rapist DNA. They take the DNA, they reproduce it ad infinitum, and then they have a big, big sample, a huge sample of it, and then they're able to compare that with um, the... Uh, the criminals that have already Suspects. Been, mm-hmm. Yes. Well, oh, criminals too. And then mm-hmm. they find, oh, that guy did it, you know? So, so this was, and it was, uh, how should I say? It was an exultory monograph. They were really happy. They were rejoicing that they had found a way of replicating that coronaviruses, which they had found in 2005 the bat coronavirus. The coronavirus is, is common and um, responsible for a lot of things, even the common cults. But there is a, a, a great degree of villainy, home state villainy involved here, and this is in the person of Dr. Fauci. Dr. Anthony Fauci holds many patents on many um, vaccines. He was responsible for pawning off AZT Uh, on the AIDS-stricken population. If you speak to any actors or dancers or people, older ones who survived the AIDS epidemic, pandemic amongst the artists, they hate him. Because we now know that most of those AIDS and HIV victims who perished didn't perish from AIDS or HIV. They perished from the drug
1: that Dr. Fauci pawned on the general public, AZT. Doesn't that sound familiar?
6: Yes, sir. Yes, it does. Now, here's the key to the, the whole thing. Dr. Fauci was engaged in gain-of-function research on coronaviruses here in the United States. That means finding ways of making it easier for the coronavirus to transfer from human to human. But in 2015, and this is during the Obama administration, the FDA came to its senses and said, what are you guys, crazy? You want to make coronavirus gain a a function and be able to transfer more easily from human to human or from animal to human? No. This is unethical, it's immoral, it's criminal, and it is against the
1: law. And it's
6: dangerous. (laughs) Well, look how dangerous it is. Well, what did Dr. Fauci and his buddies at the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, General Tedros, they don't call him doctor because he's not a doctor. Now they call him General Tedros. Dr. Fauci received a huge grant around 2004, 2005 from Bill Gates to fund research, and Dr. Fauci took $3.7 million and gave it to the Wuhan laboratories, which are run by the Chinese military. Every business, every laboratory, every factory in China is owned by the Chinese military. And Dr. Fauci funded gain-of-function research on coronaviruses, in the Wuhan laboratory. He circumvented American law. Dr. Fauci is a criminal and Dr. Fauci is going to pay for it. That's why you don't see him anymore on the dais at the briefings. Another doctor has been appointed to the COVID-19 medical board by the president of the United States. So Dr. Fauci has been lionized by the leftist media. He's been set in opposition to the president and other experts in the government. And for the president to move against Dr. Fauci at this time would be political suicide, but have faith. If the president succeeds in being reelected, these criminals are going to see justice. Now (laughs) I was going to make a joke. Because again, this is very heavy stuff, but sometimes a joke can can uh, break it, break the ice. And uh, I sent, I came across somebody on Facebook sent me this the other day and said, "A sad night in baseball. A foul ball killed two cardboard fans, and their deaths were attributed to coronavirus." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that this was a, this was genius. This is genius. absolute genius. And how humor, humor can offset, uh, some doom and gloom. If it can make you laugh for a few seconds, it breaks the spell that they've imposed on us. So, um, if you want to have,
1: have a word or, or ask me a question, I'd be happy to pause at the moment. Robert, this, this so, there are so many questions I have for you and, uh, we need hours to go through them, frankly, but, uh, I I was really very curious because the last time you appeared on our our show was actually about four months ago, almost to the day. And I really wanted to ask you, I mean, in those days, let's go back four months, we were all far more cautious because although our gut reaction uh, was, you know, what is going on here with this, this COVID thing and so on and so on, but... We have since then seen so much more information that is you know, clearly defining that the numbers are being fudged, yes, the science yes. is being fudged, and so on. But yes. just to cut to the chase, between four months ago and today, what do you think your greatest insight is about this whole pandemic?
6: I think my greatest insight is that we have already achieved
1: herd immunity.
6: And I'll tell you, frankly, I have not worn a mask in New York City since the middle of April when I figured out that this was a sham. I do wear a mask when I go into stores, but I don't wear it because the governor says I have to wear it. I wear it to protect the store owner. I have a very dear friend, Mr. Barzini, and another dear friend, Dr. Gary Null, and they have kept their stores open to feed the people of the West Side. But this communist mayor, de Blasio, that we have, I call him Mayor Diablo, because he's an absolute villain. He has decreed that uh, any store owner who allows anyone to wear a mask in his store is going to be fined thousands and thousands of dollars. So to protect my dear friend, Mr. Barzini and Gary Null and any other store owner, I don the mask, I go into the store, I buy my product, and I leave, and I promptly remove the mask. I want to tell you a very sad story. I have been training in Riverside Park for 45 45 years. That's where I learned uh, Tai Chi, actually 47 years. And I've kept it as an institution in Riverside Park. And today I was coming home. And at 91st Street and Riverside Drive, I saw two people kneeling over a body. I went over and I said, do you need help? And they said, no, no, no. I said, is she she all right? They said to me, "Uh, she's had a seizure. Now, I know epileptic seizures, grand mal seizures and petty mal seizures. And I noticed that this lady was just knocked out as if dead on the street. And they didn't want any help. So they said, oh, we live right up the street and apparently they knew her and they were handling it. So I walked away and I walked about 10 feet around the corner and I stopped and I went back to them and I said, excuse me, was she wearing a mask? And I asked it in that tone, you know, good cop, bad cop tone. Excuse me, was she wearing a mask? And they said to me, yes, she was. And I said, it's oxygen deprivation, friends. Those masks don't work. I know because OSHA, the Office of uh, Safe, uh, Safety, uh, Office of Safety and Health in um, in the U.S. government, issued uh, the findings: N95 masks don't work. They don't work because N95 masks are made to be worn in contaminated areas.
4: Robert, we've got to take a little moment for a break, and then we'll bring you right back after the break.
0: Okay.
7: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
2: And welcome back to the other side of the news. You're listening to Robert Morningstar and co-hosts on Neta Driscoll, Timothy Saunders, and myself, Cynthia. We're going to be bringing on um, John Francis with a report and uh, later a mystery guest that we haven't heard from in a while. So, John Francis has been a guest many times, but before I go on to that, I just want to mention that we are an amazing resource. So for the other side of the news, when you click on there, there are links to categories where I'm collecting information, and all of the shows are, you can listen to the entire show. And for the weekend shows, the other side of the Midnight, we have an archive for our members where you can listen to all the shows. And, of course, each one of those shows is packed with many, many links of information. So I think this is a fantastic resource for anyone. If you want to expand your mind and your viewpoints, you'll find a lot here to explore. can uh,
6: May I finish the thought about the m 95 It's very short.
2: Of course, I apologize, Robert. Go right ahead.
6: The N95 mask does not work because it's made to be worn in contaminated areas. And while it filters the air coming in, the exit port does not filter the breath of the person wearing it. So if that person has the COVID, it's blowing it out through the exit port. Plain and simple. I'm yeah. going to
2: drop a graphic that so poignantly illustrates what you're speaking about. I'll add that to the links.
6: Yeah. Okay.
2: Thank you, Robert. You're Thank welcome. you. So, John Francis is a professor of statistics, and he was also an officer in the Navy, and he's been a guest as well many times on the other side of midnight. Well, welcome, John.
8: Yes. Hello, Cynthia. Uh, Thank you for hello. Uh,
2: hello. We're happy to have you on the show with an update to follow your great update from last
8: week.
4: Right. Of course, um, if
2: you didn't hear him last week, go back to the show last week. He had some amazing information there.
8: Yeah. Basically, I'm looking at this from the statistical point of view. Uh, although I have a graduate degree also in psychology, because so I'm in a unique position to be able to evaluate how psychology plus statistical distortions is being combined for um, mind control, in a sense, or inculcating a feeling of, of fear in the population. And what, I'm, what you asked me to look at, actually, uh, some data to indicate is, there, is what, we, what we're experiencing, is this any really significantly different from any other flu season that we've seen uh, in the past, because we're taking drastic measures that are totally unprecedented in the US history uh, uh, regarding this, um, this coronavirus. So one study in my item number one looks at the data from the CDC website, and it looks at total deaths in the US from all different causes. Uh, for the last five years, from 2015 to 2019, uh, five years prior to this current year. And they come up with an average of about uh, 921,000. And then looked at the total deaths for this current year, 2019-20. Um, and looking at, they're looking at the flu season only, the four months, well, they're looking at the four months from uh, January To May, and it's very interesting. Today is uh, August 21st, and we're actually at exactly the seventh month, um, uh, seven months after the first COVID case was diagnosed in the U.S. on January 21st of 2020. So uh, this data looks at the first four months from January to to roughly May, which is uh, May is the end of the traditional flu season. And they found, in the average of the previous five years is about nine hundred and twenty one thousand. And this current um, uh, period from January of this year to the current to May of this year, nine hundred and forty four thousand, just about twenty thousand more, uh, which is only about two percent more than the typical overall death rate. And so one could attribute that little bump if you want to. Uh, it's a bump of about twenty thousand extra during this January, May period, you could say, well, that's the coronavirus there. Uh, yeah. And actually, uh, if you compare it to the year 2017, it's our total death count is actually less. So basically what we're experiencing this year is generally not any more serious than a typical year and, and even less serious than the a bad flu season that we had 27-2018. So that's... Um, that's the first thing to note, that the, what the statistics are telling us.
1: John, let me ask you a question, sorry, very quickly. Because absolutely. You're, you're talking about the additional 20,000, but yes. there are also other effects. For example, the, I'm sorry to say, but increased suicide rates. Uh, oh, yeah. There are also the other effects from the COVID, the psychological uh, effects and also that the, the effects come from neglect of, of for example, elderly people uh, who are not being properly looked after. So do yeah. you think that could also be in that same 20,000 or is that a different yeah. part of the situation? Well, no, no,
8: you're, ab- you're absolutely correct. And I might add, think about all the people that are not having gone into hospitals for preventive treatment or elective surgery and all kinds of things. So basically what you're saying is, Statistically speaking, there's really no difference between the, car, the, the period from January or May of this year than any previous year. You know, there's nothing to suggest that even that there's a coronavirus, but I was being generous to say, okay, maybe, you know, slight bump, but even you're correct. It doesn't come out of the noise, quite frankly. So you're right. So there's really nothing in the data from January to, to May of this year, when you compare to previous years, to suggest that we're having any type of a, anything unusual. Now, what this is interesting though, if you look at what's happened uh, so may, by all practical purposes, should have been the end of the flu season. The weather is hot and the sunshine is going and that's when the flu ends. But it's very interesting. Didn't we start hearing rumors about, you know, be careful. We may see a surge phase two. Remember hearing all that? Even uh, at a time when we shouldn't be worrying about the flu anymore. And sure enough, here comes phase two. and. What we now see is an increasing of testing, 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 testing. And when you test, what do you find with the PCR, which was mentioned? And what it really tests is, at best, assuming it was 100% accurate, all it's testing is, were you ever exposed during this flu season to a cold, to a flu, or to any coronavirus? And, of course, if you start testing the population, you're going to find people who have been exposed to one virus or another during the past uh, five months, four, four months of the flu season. And if you keep testing and testing, you're getting more and more so-called cases. And the media is presenting it as if there's an epidemic of new infections that's spreading throughout the, the whole uh, the population when really it's just a case. Dr. Erickson pointed that out. You play, play, played a video you know, of one of the frontline doctors. You played a video from him last week. And so so what we're seeing is just an increase in cases. And even that is, the test is suspicious. And how do you define a case? It's a very liberal definition, not just finding something in the PCR test, but if you if they find someone who with a positive, then you can call an X number of surrounding people that this person came into, like nine, I think it is. You can also count them as cases, a multiplier of not factor of nine, even though those other people weren't even tested, presumably, just assuming that they may have contacted them. So there's a tremendous amount of, of um, you know, then you add it to the fact that the Medicare gives bonuses if someone, uh, you know, is diagnosed with. COVID or if they die in a, if they're put on a ventilator, and if they die, there's all kinds of incentives. Now, it's important to 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 recognize too. And, and in my item number three, Dr. Redfield, the head of the CDC was asked in Congress, do you think there might be some inflation in the COVID death numbers? And on that video, you'll see he acknowledged, yes, there is. Another thing that's very suspicious about the data is the United States has 5% of the world population, approximately. Yet they have, uh, to date, supposedly 175,000 COVID deaths, which comes out to be 25% of the total deaths, COVID deaths in the world. So with only 5% of the population, we supposedly have 25% of the deaths, which it's a factor of five. Uh, beyond what you would expect. And uh, I was just reading online, um, someone in the mainstream newspaper says, well, that's because our administration is doing such a terrible job of combating COVID. Uh, You know, I disagree. We we have probably the best healthcare system in the world, the best sanitation in the world, the highest, just about one of the highest standards of living in the world. And uh, air is probably cleaner here than a lot of places. So I think a more likely hypothesis is that this these high, very high numbers of so-called COVID deaths are really caused by uh, maybe calling the regular flus, the coronavirus, or motorcycle accidents, coronavirus deaths, or all kinds of of things. I think that's a very likely um, hypothesis. Um, and so it's,
6: yeah, go ahead. I may, we had an exchange uh, over the week mm-hmm. when we ex- it was exposed that California was ending the lockdown, but suddenly said they had a surge, right. and they locked down people in the most, oh, well, a knows and Annetta knows. But the point is, <clears throat> last week, Sandra Angeli, Angeli, who was the health director in California, had to resign because, oops, she overlooked 300,000 positive test uh, cases that they did not include when they did their statistics. They claimed that they were having a spike, a resurgence of coronavirus because they had 10,000 deaths and 250,000 cases, which results in a 4% uh, mortality rate. But had they included the 300,000 cases on top of the 250,000, you would have had 10,000 deaths in 550,000 cases, and the mortality rate plummeted to 1.8 percent. So, project. Very good. Fake yeah. statistics. And this right. is it's, being used everywhere.
8: Yeah, wherever you look. Uh, so that's basically what I want to present. I don't want to take up too much time with this. People get kind of uh, um, misty-eyed when they hear too much statistics. But basically, just looking at it from a very rational, uh, left-brain point of view, looking at the statistics, is I can see how things are skewed and 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 little tricks are played to make something look a lot more serious than it really is. Um, so. That's 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 where we are, you know, unfortunately.
6: John, how about yeah. just, just going over the graph, Kansas. I was asked about Kansas, and you you analyzed that graph about the fake spike. Yeah. I think that's just another good example of how um, math and fake statistics are being used against the American public. And it's all political, which I hope we'll have a chance to talk about what's going on in the background and uh, the political scene and who's really behind it all.
8: Right, that yeah. graph, I should have pointed that, first of all, that was not a controlled scientific experiment because uh, it wasn't controlled in any way because there are many factors, you had two graphs and actually, if, I, if the graph was redrawn, you would see in the group that had that were not wearing masks, they were consistently lower in case studies per 100,000 they stayed between nine and ten per hundred thousand, and the group that was wearing masks—the lowest they ever got was sixteen cases per hundred thousand. Yet the way the doctor made that graph by playing with the axes of the graph and putting putting two graphs together when they should when they had different axes, you would have seen that the line for the people wearing masks never went down below the non-West ma- mask wearers. It, it never did. It was very Uh, It was just totally, and and everyone called called on it left and right. I put two examples of people that immediately saw that. So, you know, if there's really something serious going on, why do you have to distort the data, play tricks with the data? That's what I'm saying. You know, if it's really serious, why do you have to do that? You're crying wolf. And if we ever have something for real, you know, who's going to believe them?
4: Well, that's the same reason that we, you know, that they're trying to censor everything that's the truth, um, (laughs) because our health isn't what they're talking about uh, at all. So, so there you go.
0: Um, So it's,
8: um, you know, they predicted the surge and this mask wearing its to me, it's just a way of keeping the illusion going that, you know, summer is here and people feel great. I, you know, I look around. Everybody's out doing things. And people feel great. I feel great. You know, the sun is shining. Yeah, we got to keep that illusion going until the fall comes, when we start having our usual sniffles and colds and you know, aches and pains. And uh, the mask is sort of a way of saying, you know, it's still here. It's still here. Keep keep the Hi. faith. It's still here. You know, that's part of it. Well,
2: and then they'll all say that we we have coronavirus. Uh-huh. By the way, this is the perfect time to bring in a, a dear friend and a mystery guest who I just uh, had a chance to connect with this afternoon. Uh, Keith, would you please bring on our dear Chris Spell, who used to, who started the podcast on The Other Side yeah. of Midnight and has made many journeys with us over that past year and he has a his own experience to share i when he told me about it i thought oh i need to bring you on so chris bell are you there
9: yes hi hey, Cynthia. how are welcome, you
2: welcome chris so good to be talking with you here glad to have you back
9: well thanks for having me
2: so you want to share with our audience what you were texting me
9: yes um well one thing that um I've well that happened to me was last I guess it was late October, early November, I got really sick and when we look at the C D C data back then there was some sort of influenza or flu like illness that was running through the country from I guess late October through December. Now that was pre COVID, but the symptoms were pretty much what COVID uh are. And so I don't know if I had COVID or not, but uh, I, I I literally woke up one day and could not breathe. I mean, I stepped awake and I I just barely could breathe. Anyway, long story short, um, I've been I had been suffering since that time with my lungs not working right, um, barely able to breathe. And well, it would, get, it would get better, get worse, and it wasn't until. Um, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. So in March, um, our president talked about hydroxychloroquine. And I was like, ooh, I need to get hold of that right now because if I catch COVID, it's going to kill me because I was already having trouble breathing. And so I was very worried about it. So that was the only treatment at that point that I knew. It was a hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and the z pack So I called my doctor the next day and asked him to prescribe that to me. So, I had that sitting here, just in case it wasn't until and it's, and still suffering with my lungs it was it was tough, and then it wasn't until you know a few weeks ago when I saw the frontline doctor's um press conference and I started thinking more about maybe hydroxychloroquine could help my problem and so I watched their whole day uh you know conference that they did and I said, you know what? I need to try this. So, what, two weeks ago, I started taking the hydroxychloroquine, and within three days, it cleared up the lung problems I had. Don't really know how it worked, but I assume I must still have had some sort of infection in my lungs. But my lungs are totally clear now, and it, you know, it, as far as I'm concerned, it gave me my life back again. Um, and <clears throat> this that that drug works. And anyone that tells you it doesn't, you know, I'm sorry, it, it works. And, and that's what's so frustrating is you're seeing so many people die unnecessarily because they're not given this as soon as they go to their doctor and, and, they, and they're sick. If they're given it early on, uh, it's going to work. You need to add the zinc to it. And, you know, if you're kind of further along, you probably need the z pack. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I don't like taking drugs um, so it, it, so the zinc I'm good with and, and I did take the hydroxychloroquine And it just It helps I just want people to know that so oh, really I, want
2: to, I want to add To what you're saying Chris That in my links and Kaseya's links Number three Dr. Richard Urso is reporting On how effective Hydroxychloroquine is mm-hmm. And he says that in countries That are endemic areas Where they use Hydrochloroquine hydrochlor- hydro- <laughs> hydrochlor- all the time. That there's absolutely no cases of COVID, and those that have started taking it as a uh, prophylactic, their their cases are extremely low. And um, he he also mentions that uh, it's important that all of us reach out to our to our representatives, to our senators, and say we want it because it's it's really criminal right now. A drug that has been safe and FDA approved for 65 years is now considered mm-hmm. being treated like a poison where a doctor who wants to prescribe it to their own families, CVS says, no, we won't give it to you. Right now, you can't go get hydroxychloroquine from... CVS and probably other pharmacies as well and this is ridiculous. So this doctor Richard Urso, is urging us all to reach out and demand he says the public needs to demand that they make this available. People are dying and they don't need to be dying just like you were saying. And what is this little 3 minutes and is he you know lays it right there on the line. In fact in the video in the, in the longer version there Six or eight doctors that come on and talk about hydroxychloroquine, and I will be posting those. I'm doing little clips of each video because I know the short attention span well, of he, many. Um, so, yes.
6: Can see I make a comment on hydroxychloroquine? Please. I want to give credit where credit is due. The discovery and the announcement that uh, hydroxychloroquine was effective against COVID was made by the University of Queensland, Australia. And I received that article on March 19th. When I read it, my body went into ecstasy, and I said a prayer. I said, thank you, God. This is the miracle that we've all been waiting for. And it was I who got that information to President Trump, Vice President Pence, and I even sent it to Redfield. Here's the irony. In 2005, Dr. Mm-hmm. Anthony Fauci and the, his, his journal, Journal of Virology, announced that hydroxychloroquine was effective in combating SARS coronavirus. And since then, he has been battling against it tooth and claw, another, another criminal act.
4: Which brings up the idea that it's like, so why are why is everything that could help us being suppressed? And I come back to the same thing that says, because it has nothing to do with any of this stuff that's in front of us. It's about this much larger agenda, the pandemic, which is the part two, three, four, and five. You know, those kind of things where this isn't this isn't about this virus. It's not about us. I mean, yes, if they can wipe some of us out, great. You know, the collateral damage is great, but there's a much larger agenda with all of these things, the mask wearing and the, the suppression of, of cures, the censoring, all of that is so, so much a, a bigger part of the agenda for all of us.
8: Yes.
6: So. If, if you're going to have a more, more programs, I would like to invite myself to come back and talk about Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a giant genocidal maniac. He announced that he wants to reduce the world population by 15% by 2030. If I were to come on this show and say, I'm planning to do a mass killing at this, this, like hundred people, I would be arrested immediately. And this maniac, I did the math. When you do the math on 7.8 billion people on earth and you take in his, his idea of 15% reduction, He's planning to kill 116 million people a year for 10 years to achieve that goal. <laughs>
1: we got to talk well, about well, Robert, he, he's already started. Yes, there is oh. there already is. There is a trail behind him already. So absolutely. He will definitely be coming up in our future shows on this. In the scene from of, India. Uh,
6: from India. And unfortunately we didn't get to the, this new technology, they're claiming new technology but I sent you an article about the swine flu of 1978-79 and how it affected 80 million people. And a large number of those people got guillain barr syndrome, a neurological disease. And I learned from a CIA doctor, one of the highest-ranking officers in the CIA, that that deficiency, immune deficiency, was transferred to the progeny, to the children of the people who got it and they are compromised. So I don't think that this is the first time that they're using messenger RNA technology in a genetic uh, sequence in a vaccine. This has to be
1: investigated. Absolutely.
8: Yes. Yeah, so Hi. Um, yeah, I, I just want to, um, this is John Francis here. I just want to man- mention one quick thing about hydroxychloroquine. Uh, there is an online service called TeleMD, T-E-L-E-M-D, where you can have a consultant with, an, with a medical doctor and uh, give them your situation that they think it's warrants. They can give you a prescription. It can be filled uh, at a pharmacy in a state where it's legal to do it and then ship you the prescription. So I just wanted to put that out. So, there. so-
2: John, we should put that link on the page. I'll, you can give it to me and I'll put it on the page.
8: Okay, I'll, I'll do that later.
2: All right. And I want to add, I'm going to be dropping in a chart that Chris Spell just sent me about where hydroxychloroquine is being used and its effectiveness.
1: Kintia, it's time to say goodnight. Would you oh, like
2: to sign off? No, this is too much fun. <laughs> oh, It's a party time. I'm so glad to have Chris Spell back with us and Robert and John we from the family of the other side of news and the other side of midnight we wish you all well what would you all like to say
1: i think be, wake up be think happy. positive
2: be happy yeah. yeah don't worry be happy we no. send you love like good night be
0: peaceful wake up